Welcome to the Tally Room Podcast. I'm Ben Rowie. In today's episode, we'll be discussing last night's Queensland state election. My guest today is Alexis Pink. Alexis comes to us from Brisbane Community Radio Station 4ZZZ and is the first reporter working out of the State Press Gallery for the station in 15 years and is joining us from 4ZZZ this morning after a big night last night. Hello, Alexis. Good morning and thank you. There are still some seats to be decided, but it appears that Labor has been returned to government, probably with a majority, and it looks most likely that Labor will end up gaining seats from the LNP. At the time of recording on Sunday morning, the ABC has given Labor 49 seats and predict they will end up with 52. The LNP is on 29 and are leading in five more. Seven crossbenchers have been elected, including six incumbents and a second Green in South Brisbane. Alexis, Labor would have to be happy with this result, right? I think they would have to be amazed. Up to a few moments before the polls closed, they were preparing for the possibility of needing to negotiate over a hung parliament. So they'd be over the moon that they've won a few extra. It does look like not a lot has changed. Uh, there's a few swings here or there, but uh, there's a few seats where Labor's gained ground. The most movement appears to be uh, on the fringes of the southeast Queensland urban area. So the Gold Coast and particularly the Sunshine Coast, that's where most of the seats that Labor has either won or is competing in are. In the north, it looked like early on in the night, Labor was in a little bit of trouble in places like Townsville and Barron River, um, but they ended up uh, recovering their position there. And actually, on my estimates, it looks like in the places where there's a two-candidate preferred swing in that area, uh, Labor's actually gone up in those seats. It is actually quite surprising considering the amount of effort that the LNP managed to put into those three Townsville seats. It's Thoengawa, Townsville, and Mundingborough. And... Yeah, the law and order thing that um, they suggested, a, a curfew for the area and a new ICE task force, just didn't resonate in the way that I would have otherwise expected. It just doesn't seem that the crime problem was going to be the winner for the, for the LNP up there. Now that we've got the experience of hindsight at this point, it's it's just a little bit more surprising than I was expecting. Yeah, so um, I've been doing some breakdowns by region for a blog post that I'll be working on later. We don't have two candidate preferred swings for all seats because there's a there's 23 seats where either we don't have any two candidate preferred votes or we don't have a comparable swing to um, a Labor versus LNP contest last time. Overall, it does look like there's been about a 4% swing on average in central Queensland and about a 1.8% swing in the kind of regional cities of the north, so Cairns, Townsville and other places. And then in Brisbane, about a 3.2% swing on the Sunshine Coast, a 4% swing and on the Gold Coast, a 1.5% swing. So that's pretty even. Like there's a few really large regional seats where Labor went backwards and I'm sure these averages mask a bit more variety. But um Labor has gained a bit of a swing towards them really everywhere. Yeah, it does look like that. It's really just not what we were expecting. I mean, we thought Labor's vote would hold up quite well in southeast Queensland. We weren't expecting any of the LNP's targets in southeast Queensland to fall. So they had Aspley and Maywa and a few others on their list that they thought they could win. And yeah, they're nowhere close, even in those seats. I mean, even looking at places like Aspley this morning, the ALP's got a 4.7% swing towards them. That was one of the most marginal Brisbane seats they had, and now it's got a 5% margin to defend. It's gone really badly for them in southeast Queensland, and it sort of underlies a little bit of weakness in the LNP's campaigning strategies. Like Their expectation was they were going to be able to win in places in northern Queensland, 
and not have to worry too much about winning back big parts of southeast Queensland just by defending the Gold Coast and Sunshine Coast seats. There was a few seats which at first glance I thought were a little bit of a surprise, but when I looked at the seat margin, I was like, oh, no, they make sense. You know, places like Nicklin, where Labor is narrowly ahead, or Bundaberg, where Labor is narrowly ahead. The one that I find really interesting is Harvey Bay. Do you know anything about what happened there? Harvey Bay is a proper regional seat. It's not the Sunshine Coast. It's further north than that. The LNP held it by a 9.1% margin, and on the latest count, there's about a 12% swing to Labor. Actually, Harvey Bay itself is a traditional Labor seat. Marginal, but um, traditionally Labor. But it was won a few years ago by Ted Sorensen, a former mayor of that council area. And he's held on against all, all comers for as many terms as you can imagine, about three or four at this point. And he retired at this election and took his personal vote into retirement with him, apparently. One Nation had a big crash in their vote. They hold one seat, Stephen Andrew in Morani. Uh, he's held up reasonably well. It's not that he got a he didn't get a big surge to him like the incumbent Greens MP did, but he, you know, he held on okay in the end. Um, but apart from that seat, One Nation's vote has gone down all over the shop. Like the last election they polled 13.7% of the primary vote. And at this election, it's 6.9. Basically, their vote is halved. But you see that when you go through the seats as well, because actually they ran in more places than they did last time. So that actually masks a bigger decline in the seats where they ran. As far as One Nation on the campaign trail this time round, there just wasn't much to actually talk about. Yeah, it was a very subdued campaign, and it, it just doesn't work for the sort of... Um, reactionary sort of politics that One Nation has dealt with over the years. It also failed to feature Pauline Hanson, which is probably their biggest electoral asset. None of this campaign actually made a lot of sense. Maybe this was One Nation trying something, trying to build up individual profiles for people in um, individual seats so they could get past needing to rely on its big hitters to win elections for it. But if that was their strategy, it just hasn't come together at this election. They will be relying on Pauline Hanson a lot and going into a federal election in a few years, I think that's going to be the case as well. Losing Pauline at this point might be effectively the end of One Nation's resurgence. And then the other big minor party was the Greens. So the Greens... Uh, on the night, it looked like a good result, and I think it was a good result. They uh, picked up the seat of South Brisbane, where the former Labor Deputy Premier Jackie Trad lost to Amy McMahon. There are two other seats, McConnell, which was expected, and Cooper, which was much less expected, although there was a lot of chatter in the comments on my blog in the last week about Cooper. In those two seats, the Greens are currently in third place. It doesn't look like they're going to quite squeeze into the top two in either of those seats, but it is possible. And if they squeeze into the top two, it is possible they would win those seats on on LNP preferences like they did in South Brisbane. But the other factor about the Greens, which hasn't really been talked about, is at the moment their statewide vote is actually down. It may, it may well end up being above where it was last time, but at the moment their vote is at 9.2%, down from 10%. And uh, that does seem to reflect a bit of a concentration of their vote, that they, their vote picked up in Maywa, picked up in South Brisbane, picked up in a ring of surrounding seats, but it went down in other places to produce an overall kind of status quo result on a state level, which is probably a very efficient thing for the Greens. Uh, but um, the Greens would have to be reasonably happy with this result, even if their statewide vote um, stayed still or went down, right? I'd expect that they'd be quite happy with this result. Um, 
Also, let's not take away too much from the fact that Labor did very, very well at this election. When Labor does well, the Greens don't tend to do as well. If Labor have made a really good campaign for um, governments, it's likely that the left vote will be a little bit subdued. So maybe a little bit going back from Greens to Labor this time round, just out of the natural position of the government, which has been quite strong over the last six months. The coronavirus really has sort of hit home the idea of stronger government, and Labor has really capitalised on that in this election. So it's probably a little bit of leakage back on the left. That said, the inner city were more than happy to vote for Green's candidates, although it's a bit patchy. Cooper was very outstanding in terms of swing, up 10% on primary votes, and at one stage they were leading the count over the night. However, just next door in McConnell, the the swing is only 1%. I've got to wonder why the Greens didn't spend more time on a seat that was much closer to a win than this. Just seems like a bad allocation of resources, but maybe there was something else in that. Maybe the retirement of Kate Jones made more, it made more sense to pour resources into a seat with no incumbent. I guess we'll have to see how it comes out in the wash, but yeah, there's a lot of questions to ask. But yeah, um, it's a great result for the Greens. I, I think they should be quite happy with it. And this trend of an increased vote in the inner city and a declining vote elsewhere is something we've seen in other states. We've seen it certainly in Victoria. In the long run, obviously, the Greens would like to see their vote pick up, but it, it would effectively mean a translation of the same vote into a more efficient concentration of seats, giving the Greens actually more opportunity to be in an influential position, which is just it's crucial in every state, but it's absolutely crucial in Queensland if they're going to have any influence. Well, it is true for the Catters Australia Party as well. They've got maybe 3% of the vote in Queensland and three seats. If you're talking um, bang for buck, it's definitely mm. much better for the Catters than it is for the Greens. And it is that spread of votes that actually does that. And you see the same thing in New South Wales. The Shooters uh, as a party perform um, get a much lower vote, particularly in the lower house than the Greens do, but they each have three seats because the shooter's vote is very concentrated in one part of the state. And finally, the early vote was a big factor in this election. We don't have the exact figures on how many people voted early, but it looks like maybe it would end up being about 60-65% of enrolment voting early, um, which probably means 20 or 30% of enrolment voting on the day. Uh, it did mean we had this kind of weird moment on election night where all the election day votes have been counted. The ABC system had called a lot of seats, but the ABC, the, the humans at the ABC, as well as at a bunch of the other media organisations, including The Guardian, where I was contributing, were like holding off on calling the election because we needed to see some more voting figures come in because it was like 20, 30% of the vote counted. We've talked on the show before about how we thought this affected the campaign, but how do you think in the end that big change in the way that people vote affected these results? Well, certainly it did affect the counting on the night. And certainly when those figures were coming through, I did think, oh, geez, these do look like um, unbelievable ALP swings. Maybe we should wait a little bit longer before calling a few of these seats. It was quite remarkable to watch them all fall over so quickly. But also, the, most of those gains actually held up as the night went on. So maybe the count computers not, aren't nearly as bad as we think they are on this sort of prediction. That said, I would say early voting has had quite an impact on the election. 
especially considering how strong the ALP campaign was in the middle and maybe a slight twist into the tail towards the end to the LNP just never really materialised and couldn't have been capitalised on anyway. I mean, maybe one million people voted on the day itself. That's about 33% of the overall number of people who can vote in a Queensland election. And yeah, it was pretty quiet at polling booths. So if people were making their mind up at the last minute, it just wasn't that many people to gain um, at a polling booth as they were coming through. Because it ended up being quite a stable status quo result, not a great deal of change except in a few seats, that maybe made it easier for the prediction calculators to deal with this tremendous change in vote. You know, if there had been big swings in one part of the electorate, not in others, that would be the kind of situation where this big change in vote mode would have made it harder. So I suspect we may have gotten off light because of the fact that this wasn't a radical change election. And so it was relatively easy to predict. If major parties are sort of interested in having more information on election night, they might have to think very carefully about how votes are sort of categorised and returned to the public. Having one large pre-poll vote where everyone is um, in electorate is voting does mask a lot of underlying data about how electorates work. So we might see in the future a slight change in the way those things get reported if we want to see more information on the night. Is there anything else you'd like to cover? There was the um, result of the independent in um, Udigru. That was a sort of interesting um, outcome in the end. It, everyone was sort of touting this one as a, a big, you know, Warringah repeat, but it just never materialised. It never even came close in the end. And it wasn't a great election for the LNP, so if it was going to fall over, it was going to fall over this time. But there might have been one factor that played into that, and that's in the times when the LNP have lost a seat in to an independent with a slightly different bent from them. It has been while they've been in government. So maybe this strategy doesn't work as well while the LNP is in an opposition. So that's about it for this episode of the Tallyman Podcast. Thank you, Alexis, for joining me. My pleasure. Thank you. You can find this podcast on your podcast app of choice. If you like the show, please consider rating or reviewing us on iTunes. You can follow The Tally Room on Twitter at The Tally Room or like us on Facebook. This podcast is made possible thanks to the generous support of our donors on Patreon. Sign up at patreon.com slash tallyroom. Information about this podcast is available at tallyroom.com.au and you can email questions or feedback to thetallyroom at gmail.com. Thanks to Chris Bro for writing the music you hear in this episode. Once again, thanks for listening.